Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Hi, this is Richmond Webb, former offensive lineman for the Miami Dolphins, and you're listening to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. Welcome to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ken Crippen, and I'm the founder and lead instructor at the Football Learning Academy, an online school teaching pro football history. Today's special guest is college football head coach Jed Stugart. Jed Stugart is currently serving in his seventh year as the head football coach at Lindenwood University. With a head coaching career of 17 seasons, he boasts a career record of 124 and 48. Stugart played college ball at Azusa Pacific and started his coaching career at Northern Colorado, where he was promoted to defensive coordinator in 2003. After Northern Colorado, he began his head coaching career at Mid-America Nazarene, where he had a record of 26-7. He then moved up north to take over the program at the University of Sioux Falls, where he led the Cougars for seven seasons to a record of 65-17 and and a 32-5 record over the final three years of his tenure. After turning Lindenwood into a consistent playoff team at the Division II level, Stugart is now leading the Lions through a new era of competing in the Ohio Valley Conference at the NCAA Division I level. Stugart, a Greeley, Colorado native, grew up on a farm and spent long days in a tractor listening to country music. By high school, he was playing piano and working with local musicians and at the same time working to play linebacker at the collegiate level. After landing a spot at Azusa Pacific, Stugart bounced back to Nashville every chance he got. After going on several tours, Stugart moved back to Greeley and began his coaching career in Northern Colorado. For the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week, we take a look at the players who made it to the NFL from Azusa Pacific, Stugart's alma mater. Now let's get to our interview with Jed Stugart. I'd like to welcome Jed Stugart to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. How are you doing today, Coach? Great, Ken. It's good to be on with you today. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. You went to Azusa Pacific for college and played linebacker. At that point, did you think you'd be going pro or get into coaching while you were there? Well, you know, the joke always I would tell people is like, hey, have you ever heard of Jed Stugart? And, of course, nobody ever said anything. And then I'd say, do you remember Christian Okoye? And they go, oh, yeah, I remember Christian Okoye, the Nigerian Nightmare. So they were known for Christian Okoye, not for me. But, uh, you know, that's what we're kind of famous for is co- is Christian. and and uh, But – uh, you know, at that time, you know, loved my experience out there. Love great school, great college, great program. Sad that they've since dropped the football program there, but um, you know, it's uh, it really had a great impact on my life coaching there. And and at the time, I didn't know that I would be going into coaching, but uh, like life, like life does a lot of times, it prepares you for things that you might know not know at the time till till later on, but uh, that I was being prepared there is to eventually become a football coach. Now, did you play football all four years in high school? I did. Went to Greeley West High School in Greeley, Colorado, and and uh, 
um, you know, was was recruited out there. It, I didn't I didn't go right to uh, Azusa Pacific. I, I ended up going to Hastings College in Nebraska, um, and then uh, left after an injury. There um, was not a big school fan at that time. I was uh, I my other passion was my love for music and things, and that's when I I took off to go pursue that, and then ended up. Uh, after a year going back to college out at uh, Azusa Pacific, um, where I, I finished my degree and played football out there. And and, uh, and that's kind of how I eventually ended ended up going to uh, Azusa Pacific. What did you get your degree in? In communication, actually. And then um, ended up getting my master's uh, uh, later on um, after my little uh, hiatus from football. Um I ended up going back and and was a graduate assistant at Northern Colorado and got my master's degree in communication as well, um, uh, w- which ironically I, uh, uh, you know, was at that time and and at that age was priorities were football school was not a high priority and I was what I was thinking was just try to get through with the easiest major uh, as you can and and what's funny is ended up uh, the things that I learned in that major and in that master's program have been uh, great resources for me in coaching. And and so I'm, uh, like I said, at the time, I didn't know I was being prepared, but uh, that was probably the perfect major and master's program for me for what I'm doing now. Did you play any other sports either in high school or college? I did. I was, I played baseball and basketball, um, kind of shut down the baseball and went to just football and baseball or football and basketball. Um, you know, I was probably more of a bull in the China cabinet basketball player, uh, probably played foot, uh, basketball a little bit more like I played linebacker. But, uh, you know, my dad was a uh, was a basketball coach. My my uh, brother was a very good high, high school basketball player and went on to college a little bit, too. So we were kind of a basketball family. Um, and so I grew up playing a lot of basketball and love that. But, uh, you know, my uh, mentality and probably my my style was a little bit suited more for football. You had mentioned your hiatus, and so I figured we'll get into that a little <laughs> bit. So I know we had talked about this previously, that you're a country music legend. And um, when did you start playing music, and how did that evolve into the music career that you had? Well, you you mentioned the word legend. I, uh, Ken, I, I, I'm probably a legend in my own mind, actually. But, uh, you know, had a fun, um, yeah, I, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, we grew up you know, farming and, and, uh, spent a lot of time in tractors. I, you know, loved country music. My brother and I actually grew up when we were very little. My, my, uh, grandfather had got my brother who was almost four and a half years older than me, uh, an accordion. Um, and so at five years old, he started playing the accordion. And when I hit five years old, I started playing the accordion and, and the two of us kind of had a little, uh, duo as, as young kids, um, that we had travel around. My dad would, they'd take us all over to play for different, different, uh, Kiwanis clubs and rotary clubs and all these different events. And we, we started kind of being, uh, I always say to the audience that would recognize this, we were kind of like a little Smothers Brothers type of, of act. And, uh, you know, that's probably what got me a little bit into, uh, that, you know, because I could always play by ear. I always, um, it was a little natural at that. And then, you know, just my love of country music, I really started, um, always kind of had an artistic side um, and really, really started loving, you know, learning how to write country music, do those things. And I felt like, 
man, this is something I'd like to really pursue. So, you know, my love for football, but my other love was, was, um, and so I felt like, you know, if I'm ever going to do this, I need to move to Nashville and really go find out, um, you know, how you go about this. And, uh, so I moved out to Nashville, you know, when I was, I think about 19 or 20 years old after my first year of uh, football. And like I said, the injury kind of shut that down and I thought, well, I'm going to go try this. And so, um, you know, went there for a year and my dad kind of talked me into, you know, really getting my degree. Um, I, I always joke, he kind of used a really good tactic. I know when the very first Persian Gulf War started back in, what was that? 90, uh, 90 or 91. Yeah. The Bush, the first one, um, even though we didn't have a, a the, the draft wasn't going on anymore. My dad, kind of use that tactic to say, Hey, you're out of, out of college. You'd be a prime candidate. You ought to get back in school. I, it, it was a good tactic. Cause I, I, he convinced me to go back to school and I did, I'm glad he did do, do that. And then when I was done there, that's when I went back to Tennessee and, and spent four or five years, um, you know, actively pursuing um, the country music dream that I had of songwriting. And it turned into, you know, it's a, it's a, who, you know, business, you know, kind of met, a couple people that led to meeting another person that led to meeting a, an attorney, Orville Allman at the time that found a little bit of, had a little belief in me and, and um, kind of started to put a team together and a little development project to pitch to record labels. And we were, next thing you know, we were, I was out kind of opening up for a lot of artists and, and kind of going around the Midwest uh, singing in uh, clubs and and full-fledged uh, touring and doing the the country music scene a little bit. So, um, you know, that's what, uh, you know, so I got, I had a great experience um, doing that um, and, and really got close to, uh, you know, signing, you know, some deals, but, you know, as, as uh, that industry goes, you, you kind of, there's so many people going into it. Every, all the stars kind of have to align. And, and uh, every time we'd kind of get up to getting close to sign a deal, maybe the, the president of the record company that was pushing us got fired or something. And you'd kind of slide, go out with the bathwater and have to work your way back up. So um, a lot of, you know, I found out a lot quickly through that, that kind of helped me even in football, uh, really persistence, adversity, what you have to push through um, because, um, you know, so many people trying to, to pursue that, that business, you have to, you know, you can't just, um, you can't just walk away the first, first sign of trouble. You, you got to keep pushing and grinding. And I think that's kind of helped me in my career, even in the coaching industry. Now you were doing this while you were in college. So how were you able to work on that? You know, going out on, you know, whether it's mini tours, longer tours, you know, going to other cities while at the same time focusing on your schoolwork. Yeah. Well, the, so the, the initial part I would do when I, when I was going back to college, when I went back to college, um, I was focused on football and academics, but I, and then I would just go out to Nashville in the summertime. This part that I was talking about was actually when I graduated because I had no interest in coaching. I didn't even know I wanted to coach when I graduated. That's when I moved out to Nashville, um, permanently and, and was pursuing that for about five years. Um, because I didn't, I didn't get into coaching till I was 29 years old. Um, you know, after the music thing kind of, um, kind of went through that. So, um, so it really didn't affect me too much because, you know, when I was in college, I was just going out there for a couple months in the summer 
Uh, but then when school would start and football would start, I'd go back out and devote all my attention to academics and football. So really, I didn't I didn't kind of do that um, pretty heavily while I was in school. It was pretty much after I graduated. Okay. Uh, talk to me how that transition happened where you went from country music into coaching. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we had had, uh, when I say we, my, my attorney, uh, Orville and kind of our management team that, that they had put together, um, we had had a really couple close calls with, uh, um, a couple labels when I say that, meaning, you know, kind of getting up to where, you know, they were looking at me as a signed artist. We were doing some, um, showcases and, and some of those things I was out, um, you know, opening up for, you know, some, some pretty famous acts at the time. I know Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Lone Star, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. We were doing a lot of shows, but uh, opening up for a lot of these type of bands and artists. And then when uh, something would change, um, after a few times, about three times that we felt like we got close, I remember my attorney Orville had kind of said, hey, we need a, I think it'd be good that we take a break um, from Music Row a little bit because a lot of these artists or a lot of these labels are going to wonder kind of why, you know, why, you know, so let's take a break. So what I did is I went back to my hometown in Greeley, Colorado, and it always happened to be kind of in that fall um, to take a break and then um, just to kind of get away from that a little bit. And then we start back over. And in the meantime, I just to kill some time, I had a good friend of mine that um, at a high school there in Greeley asked if I just want to help him coach, you know, at the high school. So I I said, sure, I don't have anything else to do. So I, I kind of went and helped the high school that first year. Um, after that, I went back to Nashville and um, and picked back up where we started and start that over again. And then that next fall kind of did the same thing. And that's when uh, Coach Joe Glenn, the head coach at Northern Colorado at the time, uh, who I'd known, um, uh, you know, they kind of recruited me a little bit out of high school. So that's how I knew Joe. And Joe just, uh, I'd, his son was on our team in that high school the year before, and Joe just kind of asked me if I'd want to help out volunteering at Northern Colorado to kind of uh, in my time and, you know, since I was home. And I said, sure, I'd love to. So I, I that's when I really when it all changed. I, I think that year that I started volunteering there at Northern Colorado, I really started uh, my wife, Angie and I, who we went to high school together. We weren't high school sweethearts, but we were good friends. We kind of got reacquainted. Um, you know, she hadn't been married and, and you know, it had been, what, six, seven years since we seen each other in high school. And we kind of got reacquainted and became friends. And and uh, I started coaching there in northern Colorado. And that's kind of when the coaching bug kind of bit me a little bit. I, I started loving being around young people, coaching young people. I love the game of football, always did. And uh, and then when Joe, there was a graduate assistant position that opened up and he had asked me if I'd be interested in that. And I just felt like that was my time to decide, you know, do I go back to Nashville and really kind of keep on this, uh, uh, keep this grind of country music, which is a lot of highs and lows. Or did I look at this as uh, really I just felt like uh, in my faith, I just really felt like, you know, this was God kind of showing me a different direction where he wanted me to go. And I I felt the real peace about you know, taking that graduate assistant position. And, and then I never looked back, um, you know, three years later, I ended up being the defensive coordinator at Northern Colorado. So I knew that it was the, uh, it was the right uh, choice. I felt a good piece about it. And that's what kind of got me from, from music to, uh, to football. 
You started at uh, Northern Colorado, so what, defensive line and linebackers coach? and then I did. Yeah, I, to, you know, I played linebacker. I'll, I'll never forget when Joe asked me uh, to help. I was going to help out, actually, at the linebacker position. And then one, you know, he said, hey, we need some help on the defensive line. And I thought, well, I don't know anything about defensive line. I'm a linebacker. I played linebacker. I kind of went there kicking and screaming, but I felt like, you know, the head coach asked me to do it. And ironically, probably has been the funnest, uh, best position I've ever coached. I love coaching D-line. I I, uh, I did that for two years there. Absolutely loved it. Um, and, you know, yeah, I had to go learn the position. Um, met with a lot of coaches and just really uh, that's where my, um, you know, I, I absolutely love coaching defensive line. And, um, and that's kind of how I, uh, you know, I, I look back now and realize, when I eventually became a defensive coordinator, how important it was to know uh, the front end and the back end, the front, the, the defense, but also on the back end, um, how, you know, cause I was a little bit more familiar with that and didn't have a lot of knowledge about defensive line until I coached there. And it, it kind of helped me a lot with uh, overall when I became a defensive coordinator. How long were you at Northern Colorado? So I, I, I started there in 1999 was my first uh, as a GA. And then, uh, Let's see. We I left there in two thousand after two thousand and five, so about six years, uh, and that's when I was uh, offered a head coaching position at uh, Mid American Nazarene University. So uh, five or six years there at Northern Colorado, um, you know, kind of starting in that spring probably. So it's about six years. We're going to take a quick break, then get back to our interview with Jed Stugart. If you like what you're hearing at the official Football Learning Academy podcast, make sure you check out our website at www football-learning-academy.com. There you'll find additional interviews as well as videos on the history of this great sport. And an important note, a portion of all proceeds generated at the Football Learning Academy go to help retired players in need. Now let's get back to our interview with Jed Stugart. Now you just mentioned Mid-American Nazarene. Um, outside of obviously being offered a head coaching job, what was it about that program that attracted you to that job? <laughs> well, my story is kind of interesting, Ken, because I, I did everything probably opposite of what you're supposed to do. I, and I, I will tell you, and I know a lot of people say, well, a lot of people say, well, you know, God brought me where I'm at. I, it, it's almost, uh, you know, that's why I'm such a big believer in, in God. And the reason why my faith is so uh, vital to my life is because I did, you know, every, I messed everything up, but he just kind of corrected. I remember my good friend of mine, um, Rod Olson, who was a great mentor in my life. Uh, uh, when we, when our head coach got fired with uh, Kay Dalton at Northern Colorado, um, Joe Glenn had left to go to Montana. Kay had taken over the, the job and uh, we were just transitioning up to division one. And uh, I know when they fired coach Dalton, basically that meant all of us were going to kind of go out with the bathwater basically. And, and um, so I had a couple other opportunities that, I was looking at as a one as a coordinator position and one was at a as a position coach at two different programs. And Rod had, Rod Olson, my mentor, a good friend of mine, um, uh, huge impact in my life. I remember him calling me and saying, "Hey, I got I got a little um, dish on this job that's going to open up at Mid America because a friend of mine just gave me a little scoop that this head coach is about to resign, and I think you'd be great." candidate for this job at mid-america and i said and and i said where is mid-america nazarene I, I said rod i don't even have a clue where that's at and he said olathe kansas and i i just remember him 
in my mind, all the times I'd driven through Kansas on my trips to Nashville and everything, I just remember all these little bitty towns through, and I was thinking of Colby, Kansas. I thought Olathe, Kansas was like out in the middle of nowhere. I have no idea. And I remember telling him, I said, Rod, I have no interest in coaching in some little podunk town in Kansas. And he goes, well, I, I really think, uh, I really think you ought to at least look at it. And it basically just to kind of give him a, um, just to kind of say, okay, I did. I remember I just went and emailed my resume to, um, I remember Ron Hill, the, the AD at the time, plus his heart, he's, he's since passed the last couple of years. But I remember emailing, looking up, uh, I, I don't even remember the internet, like how that worked back then. I was trying to think, but I remember looking that up. I think he had the dial up stuff that made all the noise, but I, I found his email and I sent it. I just sent my resume. I didn't even send a cover letter. I just kind of sent it. And then I told Rod, I said, okay, I sent it. Um, and, uh, and so I was uh, not really expecting any kind of a return uh, response, especially with not sending a cover letter of even expressing interest in the head coaching job. I just did what Rod told me to do, just to pe appease him. And I just remember uh, I was uh, we had a couple of horses. And I remember that was kind of my way of getting away. I'd go ride my horses. I, I was saddling my horse. I remember I get this phone call back. And uh, it was from Ron Hill. And he says, hey, I got your resume. I, uh, we'd be real interested in talking with you. And I I feel now I look back, I probably sounded really arrogant. And I didn't mean to be. I just was like, Mr. Hill, I got to be honest with you. I've, I've got another couple other jobs that I'm talking to right now. I don't know that I'm, um, I would honestly say that I'm that interested because I really didn't know that I wanted to go coach at an NAIA place. I had a couple other Division II and, and a 1AA opportunity. And I thought, nah, I don't know if I want to be a head coach at an NAIA place. And he says, well, if you ever, you know, change your mind, I'd, you know, I'd like you to think about it. So later that day, I remember going to talk to my head coach that had coached Dalton that had been fired just to, we all were kind of getting together to just talk. And I remember, uh, so I had to take my courtesy car back to the, you know, that UNC gave me and I remember taking my car back and talking to the general manager there at, at uh, the car dealership. And he says, uh, so coach, what do you got going on? And I said, well, I got these two opportunities. And then this, this place called mid American Nazarene in Olathe, Kansas uh, called me and he kind of laughed. He goes, uh, well, I grew up just really close in Overland park. It's right outside of Kansas city. He goes, uh, I grew up there. He goes, I tell you what, Olathe is amazing. I think, you know, I, I know if you ever lived there, you probably wouldn't want to leave. And I said, are you serious? I said, uh, you know, I, I thought it was the middle of Kansas. And uh, I said, well, okay, that's good to know. And then when I went to my uh, coach Dalton's house to just sit and talk with some of our other coaches about what we're doing next, I mentioned to coach Dalton who coached for the Kansas City Chiefs for a, a few years uh, back in his day, he coached in the NFL for like 25 years. And I remember Kay saying to me, Coach Dalton said, so, Stu, what do you got going on? I said, well, I got these two other opportunities, but there's this place called Mid-American Nazarene in Olathe, Kansas. And Kay, like a half an hour later, I'm talking to Lee Yoder at the dealership, says, well, you know, I used to coach at, in, when I was at Kansas City. I coached, uh, I lived in Overland Park right next to Olathe, Kansas. He goes, you would love that place. I think if you ever lived there, you probably want to leave. I mean, in 30 minutes, two guys told me the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And I went home and I said, okay, Lord, I, I don't think you can be more, uh, more evident in what you're trying to tell me here. And I called Ron Hill back and said, Hey, I, 
I think maybe I, I would like to look into this. And they flew us out there and, uh, and offered me the job there. And I, I, I ended up, uh, I thank God for, for that because it ended up being, uh, an incredible three years that I was there. Love the people there and they were right. It's one of the best places I've ever lived. Um, and so that's what got me to, uh, to mid America is, is, uh, uh, not me, but probably uh, divine intervention of, of from God telling me, no, you're going to go here. And, uh, and, and it was, uh, I look back now and realize in my past how vital going there was to my career. So long story, but it's kind of an interesting story. That was a great story. <laughs> so you said you spent three years there. Then um, I know you spent a single season at UNLV as a linebackers coach and then got the job at the University of Sioux Falls. So how did you get the job at Sioux Falls? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny, again, um, it's going to sound repetitive. Um, you know, so when I had gotten to know Mike Sanford at UNLV, um, you know, after we had gotten let go at Northern Colorado, uh, one of my good friends at, uh, um, that was coaching at the University of Colorado, Brian Cabral, knew Coach Sanford at UNLV very well. And, you know, Brian was trying to help me find a job and uh, I'll shrink this short story up really quick to get to your answer um to your question um when when um mike sanford had called me because brian had given him my name uh at unlv um and said uh hey i uh um so i i was actually in in las vegas after we got let go at northern colorado um and uh this was before I got the mid America job and offer. Um, and we, my wife and I went out there for the national finals rodeo. So we were sitting in Las Vegas when my phone rang and it was from Mike Sanford, the head coach at UNLV and not, I never met him, but he knew him and Brian were close friends. And so when Mike Sanford called me and said, Hey, I, I'd like to talk to you about this position, but I think I've already, I've already offered the job. I think the guy's going to take it, but if not, I'd still like to talk to you for, if it doesn't work out. I said, well, Coach Sanford, I'm actually sitting here in, in Las Vegas um, for the finals, the rodeo finals. And he and so I ended up going over and talking to Coach Sanford. And long story short, um, he that guy, the other guy he offered did take the job, but it struck up a relationship with with me and Coach Sanford. And I stayed in touch with him. When I went to Mid-America, I actually brought my whole offensive staff out and asked him if we could come out and we were going to kind of run a similar offense because Coach Sanford at the time was uh, – Urban Myers offensive coordinator at Utah at the time. So we were running a very similar offense. And that's where Coach Sanford and I really struck up a good friendship for that next three years while I was at Mid-America. And so um, one day, I, you know, after my third year at, at Mid-America, that's when I got a phone call uh, from Coach Sanford to uh, ask me if I was interested in the linebacker job at UNLV because that guy had left. And uh, – because of our relationship, I took that job and um, and went out to be his linebacker coach. And you know, the Sioux Falls opportunity—it's—it's—it this is all tied together. And this is where I I always go back to in my life, and I look at my story, and I you know that's why I tell people it's it's more than coincidence when all these things happen because um, you know when I really do feel like God's led me in this career. Um, you know, I, I didn't realize at the time here, I went out to UNLV. I, I remember looking when I went out there to look at the job, I was talking to the athletic director at UNLV and I asked him, I said, Hey, you know, 
I'm giving up a head coaching job. Is Coach Sanford safe here at UNLV? And he goes, well, I hired him. I just extended his con contract for three years. So, yeah, he's safe. I believe in him. And so my wife and I and family, we packed up and moved to UNLV. Well, the problem is, is that September, that athletic director took a new job at Tulane. So a new athletic director comes in. So um, Coach Sanford, who did, I thought did a great job at UNLV when he took it over from uh, Coach Robinson, they were winning. They, they were over. And every year, Mike would Coach Sanford would win one more game. And that year, though, losing to uh, Reno and losing, you know, we got to five games, didn't quite get bowl eligible. They made the decision to fire Coach Sanford. So we were there one year. And I remember I always look at it. That was almost like a, we my wife and I treated it like we're optimistic people. We treated it almost like a vacation year. You know, we moved out to a house, had a pool coaching. I mean, it was like, OK, we're in Vegas for a year and now we're fired, you know, because the new coach coming in. Um, and so here I, here I went from, you know, speaking at the AFCA convention, was blessed to be the coach of the year my last year at Mid-America, all these things. You take a job to Division One, and then, bam, you're fired in one year, and now you don't have a job. It's a, That's how this industry works. But, you know, uh, to answer your question about Sioux Falls, um, because I had a friend that uh, the head coach, Jim Sabota, that just got the job at Missouri, Central Missouri, uh, he actually offered me the defensive coordinator job after the UNLV thing, and I accepted it. And I, in fact, I drove to Warrensburg. I was there for about three weeks starting my new job as the defensive coordinator when I got a phone call from the athletics director at, at the University of Sioux Falls, which at the time, the now head football coach at Washington, Kalen DeBoer, uh, was just leaving Sioux Falls, and they they were moving up from NAIA Division Two to Division Two. I remember the athletic director calling me, and I knew about Sioux Falls and how great they had done there, but I thought they were in an NAIA program. And I remember telling the athletic director, I said, "You know, I just got to Warrensburg here at Central Missouri. I think I'm good." Um, and he says, "Well, I just want to tell you, you know, our plans is we're planning on one more year, and then we're moving up to Division Two." And that kind of got my attention a little bit, um, and so. Um, I asked him, I said, well, you know what, you know what, why me? Like, why have you, why are you guys inquiring on me? And Caitlin and I had known each other. We, we had, uh, had, we'd met at a coach of the year uh, banquet at the FCA and that's where we first met. And I think Caitlin had mentioned to Willie Sanchez at the time at Sioux Falls, you know, my name to maybe consider. But when I asked the president and the athletic director in that meeting, I said, you know, you know, why, why my name came up? I was just curious. And he says, well, we were looking for three things because the one thing coach Sanford always told me at UNLV, who was a godly man, he was a man of faith and we really had a lot in common there. And I remember him feeling so bad that he went, that he hired us for one year and he, he kept apologizing to me. He said, you know, I, I just feel terrible that you guys moved out here and this happened. And I said, Mike, Everything happens for a reason. I said, I have no regrets coming out here. I've learned so much, and I know God's got a plan for this. Well, so what's funny about that is when I was talking to the president at Sioux Falls and the athletic director, when I asked them that question, they said, well, we're looking. There's some criteria that we were looking for for our next head football coach. We wanted somebody that's been through a transition because we're going through a transition, which I checked that box going through northern Colorado. Uh, we've asked, we wanted somebody that's been a head coach before, which I checked that box at Mid-America. And he says, we also were looking for somebody that coached at the Division One level. 
And if I wouldn't have gone to UNLV, I would I wouldn't have checked that box. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, when I got the job, I called Coach Sanford and I said, "I want you to stop apologizing to me because if you wouldn't have hired me at UNLV, uh, I wouldn't be the head football coach of the University of Sioux Falls." And so. Um, again, all those things happen for a reason. That's why I, I, in the midst of adversity, I don't get too depressed. Um, I look at, I look at it as opportunities that are coming. You just got to look for those. And, um, and so, you know, my whole career has been like that where every job I've ever even tried to go look for, I stopped doing that because all those doors would shut so quickly. So every job I've ever had, I've had a, somebody's picked up a phone and offered me a job just like it happened here at Lindenwood. Same thing. So, um, that's how I got to the university of Sioux Falls is through, uh, um, you know, through that whole story. So, uh, not your, not your typical, uh, probably way. So you were there 2010 through 16, if I remember correct. Right. I believe that's right. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. You uh, know, my, I think, you know, my, my years and story better than I do. <laughs> All right. So after Sioux Falls, you go to Lindenwood University, which is the job that you have now. So let's talk about how you got that job. And then we'll start talking about the different transitions that you worked on. Well, you know, we were uh, we had we had gotten back to back years in the uh, our conference champs and at Sioux Falls and started making it into the playoffs. Our transition to Division two went pretty well. Actually, we had a couple uh, tough years and then we finally started going kind of getting it going and we, we became a playoff team. And I remember that year, I, I, uh, I, it was funny because the summer before, uh, the summer before that's my final season at Sioux Falls, we were all kind of sitting around the office. And I think one of my young coaches, one of my young GAs kind of made this comment said, Hey coach, would you ever look at another division two program? You know? Uh, and I said, well, I said, you know, Sioux Falls is awesome, but I said because the year before we were, I was a finalist at Austin P, and I'd had the two years before that I was having some calls and some inquiries into some other jobs. One of those was Austin P, and I felt at the time there was just uh, a lot of a lot of things needed to come together, and it wasn't the right time at that time. So that triggered him asking me that question, and I remember saying to him, I said, "Well, I think you'd almost have to look at." some of the MIAA jobs. And I remember saying like, you know, you know, if, if Northwest Missouri or Central Missouri or Pitt State or Lindenwood, some of those programs ever opened up because they were, the MIAA was a fully funded league. At Sioux Falls, we weren't fully funded there. We, we didn't have the full scholarships. And that's who we were kind of losing to in the second round of the playoffs every year was teams that were fully funded. So it was hard to really get to a championship game when you're not fully funded. It just makes it harder. So that's why I always made that comment. Um, and I I remember telling my wife and I after the Austin P thing that next year, every year we were getting all these inquiries. And I, I said to her, I said, you know, hey, we're just going to pray for God to give us a, a clear cut direction. Are we supposed to say at Sioux Falls or, or we just ask for him to make it clear to us? And if that if we're supposed to leave. And so ironically, we get through that whole season. We make it to the first round of the playoffs. We win that game against my alma mater, Azusa Pacific. And um, I saw on the news on football scoop, I noticed that they had uh, Missouri Western and Lindenwood had both make changes uh, with their coaching staff. They, they let both head coaches go. 
And I, I remember just seeing that those news, never thought about it, never even made a phone call about it. But our staff was like, hey, did you see that Missouri Western and Linwood both fired their coaches? And I said, yeah, I did see that. Well, that next day, I, uh, the, on, I think it was that Monday, I get a phone call um, and I saw on my phone, it was from St. Charles, Missouri. I answered the phone and, of course, it's the athletic director here at Linwood. And asking me, he says, hey, I know you guys are still in the playoffs, but would you have an interest in talking to us about this job? Well, I remember a few months ago making that, having that prayer to say, hey, God, make it clear to me if we're supposed to make it. Well, when the AD from a school calls you, that's pretty clear. <laughs> and uh, but he, you know, he likes to keep us on our toes, I think our Heavenly Father does, because the next day I got the same phone call from the athletic director at Missouri Western. So all of a sudden it went from clear to cloudy a little bit like, okay, now what are we supposed to do here? And so after we unfortunately lost that second round playoff game and I had phone calls with both places and uh, went and looked at Missouri Western, went and looked at Lindenwood and uh, it's too long of a story. I've already told a long part of it, but it's uh, all the signs were really feeling like Lindenwood was the best opportunity for us at the time. Uh, with their leadership, with what was going on, we we felt like this was a better. It was a tougher job, I think, because they were only winning three games a year, where Missouri Western had, had had probably a few more things at the time. But we felt like at the end of the day, location, facilities, all those things, Lindenwood was probably a better fit. And our president at Sioux Falls was retiring that year, and I just felt like the timing was really good. And so that's what led us to Lindenwood. And what's funny is I, you know, I always. I think every coach always dreams and would love an opportunity to coach at the division one level, things like that. I had no clue that Lindenwood was looking at moving to division one. Um, that had nothing to do with me making the decision here, but you know, it's funny how sometimes the doors get shut to some of these other division one jobs that I was talking to. It just didn't feel like the timing was right. And then lo and behold, we find out what a, a year and a half ago, our president announces that we're moving division one. And uh, now I see why I've gone through three transitions. Um, you know, I feel like I've been prepared uh, to take a team through another transition. And so that's that's where I sit today, uh, leading us through a transition that I believe is going to be very successful once we kind of weather a little bit of the uh, storm that happens uh, when you go through the first couple of years of a transition. Well, you had just mentioned that you've been through three different transitions, one at Northern Colorado going from Division Two up, you were at Sioux Falls going to Division Two, and then Lindenwood going up to Division One. For the people who don't know about this process, walk me through the process of how a school up levels and what all the football program has to go through in order to be able to up level. Yeah, well, we, you know, I, I'm really part of the reason why I, I think that I'm very excited and why I stayed here. Because I, you know, number one, you you have to have the administration has to get it. They have to understand what it takes to move up in in a transition, and, and a lot of places don't. I know they got to look at the financials of a transition. Uh, the mistake that was made at Northern Colorado, which I think unfortunately is is lingered for twenty years because they've never been able to really recover out of that, is you know when you. You know, it's all about scholarships. It's all about funding. Um, if you can't recruit the same type of guys, if you can't get enough depth on your team, it, it's, you know, it's like you go into a nuclear war with bows and arrows, you know. Um, and I feel like, you know, you Northern Colorado, I saw that, you know, we were only given a few more scholarships and we're, here we're 
being asked to play North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and in the Big Sky, and we were always so behind um, that you know I was able to share that with our president here, Dr. Porter, who's been outstanding, is is leading us great through this transition because he understands what it takes to make this transition successful. And also our athletic director, Jason Coomer, they both have been completely on, uh, behind this move and wanting to do it the right way. And I think that's why, um, so to answer your question, to be successful, it takes a little time. You, you're taking a, an entire division two roster um, and you're competing against division one component, you know, opponents. And so you're going to have a lot of mismatches, those types of things. So your, your first recruiting class is vital. So you got to sell that vision to your first recruiting class because they, um, you also have the, the problem is you have the penalty of not being able to go to the playoffs for a while. So you have to really, you know, you have to be great recruiters the first couple of years to sell people on this vision. But if you don't have the funding, meaning scholarships, um, so our president, you know, they stepped up and said, hey, we're going to we're going to fully fund this transition scholarship wise. Uh, we're going to kind of and I think the fact that I was able to share my story from northern Colorado, why it wasn't successful to have a president that actually listens and kind of says, you know, instead of just say, well, sorry, this is how we're going to do it. But actually says, well, let's learn from the mistakes people have made in the past and we want to be successful. And that's what's got me so excited and why I'm all in on this move, because I do believe if you see our location here in St. Charles, Missouri, if you see our facilities, if you just you see kind of you can see that we're not very far away from being a, a very formidable opponent in this league and in this country at this level. It's not going to take very long because uh, we have the support behind us um, and we have the, the facilities behind that's already here. Uh, the infrastructure is already in place. That's the other thing in a transition. A lot of places that move up, they've got to spend millions of dollars to even get caught up on the infrastructure. Um, you know, when you when you drive into Lindenwood, we already look like a Division One program, and we've looked like that for a long time, even back in the NAIA days. Uh, this is a beautiful campus, and the facilities are phenomenal. We got one of the most, I think, NCAA.org just a few years ago had us as one of the top five uh, most beautiful stadiums in the country. And so we're you know, we, we have, you know, we have that location, we have the facility component. And now, you know, when you have the scholarships that you can go recruit and, and start to catch up with, you know, we're playing teams that have been established D1 programs for 20 and 30 years. You know, it takes a little bit to catch up, but we're not too far behind. Well, I mean, hearing your speech here, you know, it, it seems like, you know, you're a natural as far as being able to to talk about the program, talk about everything that Lindenwood can do in order to be able to recruit those division one level players. So, I mean, sounds like you're doing great. And, you know, from everything that I'm hearing, uh, things are going pretty well. Yeah. We're, you know, when the, I, I like in the last, you know, our first two years last year and this year, I mean, we're, you know, I look at it as a knowing that the first two years are going to be our two toughest years. You know, we're sitting right now, we're six and seven uh, versus FCS division one opponents. Um, so, you know, um, you know, I think that's farther ahead than what a lot of people thought we'd be. You know, I think sometimes, you know, you see a lot of teams that have gone through transitions and they barely won one game or two games uh, in the first few years. You know, we're sitting here, uh, you know, we're six and seven against uh, Division One opponents. So we're, you know, and that's with, you know, that's with a lot of, uh, you know, uh, 
Division two players that are we've had to try to elevate, but also bringing guys in. So I feel like once we kind of start to get on an even playing field, when it comes to talent matchups, I, 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 just, I think that's a pretty good foundation to start on. So I'm, I don't, I don't know how you couldn't be excited about this. Um, you know, this is a great place, um, and it's a great location. That's the thing. Um, just right outside of St. Louis in a beautiful community of St. Charles, and a lot of people love it here when they get here. And when you started the transition up to Division One, was this after COVID or was this in the middle of COVID? So this would have been um, well, it happened really quickly. So it would have been uh, this is twenty. So in twenty twenty two, the February of twenty two, right after signing day is when when we found out that we had just accepted a bid to go to Division One. And I thought it would take a year before we would start that. Well, when the president said, no, we're starting immediately in the OVC, we'd already had our schedule set for Division Two. We were all set to go. Well, in February, we had to, that's when we were starting immediately. So that February, we found out, you know, that fall, we're playing the Division One schedule. So we had to go find game. Of course, we got the OVC games that we're playing, but we had to go find to fill in the non-conference games, we had to start finding football games. So the start was really tough. It was really, uh, it was a little bit sketchy because you, you know, everybody pretty much has their game set. So it was hard to find games. So yeah, we're just talking about, you know, not too long ago when we announced we're moving to division one. And I, again, I think because of how smart it was to go ahead and get it started quicker instead of waiting a year so we could get that process started um, it was looking back was a good thing. You know, we went seven and three last year, you know, we're sitting three and five this year with a couple games to go. Um, and so I still feel like, you know, if we can get to 500 this year, I think it's going to be a great thing for a year or two in a transition like this much tougher schedule this year. And then, uh, you know, the last two, uh, this last, the 23 recruiting class, the 24 freshman class, we're about to sign here in December we feel really, really good about. And, uh, you know, to sit here and watch some of our freshmen and because of a lot of injuries we're going through, we're seeing a lot of freshmen playing right now that give us a lot of optimism uh, with our future. So it's kind of exciting to see that we're playing a lot of guys that aren't shaving yet, but, you know, one day they're going to grow up. And uh, I'm pretty excited um, here. And I think, you know, I'm pretty optimistic about where we're headed. You've had a, uh, over your entire coaching career, you've had a few players turn pro. Um, yeah. Talk to me about them. Where are they now? And do they come back and uh, talk to your program at all? Yeah. In fact, we have a lot of those guys here. Um, so, you know, in Lindenwood here, our most recent one that's playing right now for the Denver Broncos, John Harris, um, you know, in fact, he'll be here this weekend. Broncos are on a bye. Uh, growing up in, Really, Colorado, I've been an avid Broncos fan, so perfect week. Uh, good Chiefs win, uh, beat the Chiefs this week, so I'm pretty excited for John. Uh, but they, they're on a bye week, so John actually will be here uh, tomorrow. Um, we'll talk to our team. Uh, we'll be here for the game. Uh, Pierre Desir, one of our most, most uh, probably one of our more popular uh, players that, you know, spent eight, eight years in the NFL. Pierre lives here in the St. Charles area. Speaks to our team, you know, annually um, is around our program a lot, um, teaching lessons for for up and coming guys. You know, the you know we've had we had three prospects last year that all made it to some mini camps. 
uh, last year class, we didn't get anybody signed, but we had three guys that went on to mini camps and, and we've got one that's playing, uh, probably I think was, was one of the candidates for rookie of the year last year in the XFL or the USFL, uh, Clint Sig, a tight end with the, uh, um, man, I got all the names going on in the Houston, uh, gamblers. Uh, so Clint, Clint's, uh, signed again with them having a great season last year. So we even have guys that are in the USFL. Um, so, um, and then, you know, we've, we've probably got three juniors that will be, uh, NFL prospects next year, um, two on our offensive line and then, uh, a running back that we, that, uh, Giamo that has a pretty good shot. Um, so our future, like I said, it's exciting every year. We have some candidates, some, some more than others, but it's, it's great. The relationships, you know, even at Sioux Falls, you know, we, you know, stay in touch with Trey Pipkins, who's the starting right tackle for the San Diego chargers. You know, even though he was at Sioux Falls and we're at Lindenwood, you know, we still, uh, you know, we've had these guys that we have relationships with speak to our players a lot about priorities, about sometimes guys get their picture in the NFL is like all your problems go away. If you just make it to the NFL and you start, when our players can hear from NFL guys that, Hey, they're just normal people that have normal problems. Um, it's not, it's not the savior to your life to make it to the NFL that there's still um, it's still real life. You know, the, so we're always constantly trying to teach lessons to our players about prioritizing what's important. And um, cause every kid here wants to go to the NFL and once, you know, they kind of look at that. Well, if I just make it to the NFL, you know, I'm going to make a lot of money and all my problems are going to, that's that's not that's not the case, and we we want to make sure we're teaching guys the right kind of priorities in in, in our program and our culture. So it's it goes way beyond just the football field here. Well, digging into that, that's going to be the last question that I have for you today. But what are you doing to try to help these players? Because, like you said, not everybody makes it to the NFL. Only a small portion make it to the NFL. What are you doing to help prepare them for? life after college as well as you know the importance of things like family well you know we have a what we call three-dimensional coaching here um is 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 basically the three three major things you have the physical you, the mental and then you have the relational component uh, it's a transformational style of coaching and, and leadership that i believe in um, and, you know, our slogan here is better men make better lions. In other words, you know, uh, the, the more we teach um, the well-rounded individual of, of what, what helping them prioritize, you know, in a lot of cases, faith, family, football, you know, that's a, that's cliched. You see that a lot. Hey, faith, family, football. I just believe actions speak louder than words. You know, I think, um, you know, as you know, you're, you're in the media, you, you pay attention to that a lot. You know, it seems that a lot of attention goes on, you know, um, and we, and we see it all the time. I'm not mentioning names, but you know, a lot of times it's always, you know, you know, come here and you're going to get, you know, uh, you know, ideals, you're going to get cars, you're going to get fame, you're going to get, go to the NFL, you're going to do all these types of things. But you're the part, the sad part is, is when, when that is utilized so much as a, as a point to come here, um, to the a program it's you know usually only less than one percent of people make it to that stage out of that program and so you know what's happening to the other 99.3 percent um, that don't you know um, are they you know are they getting a great education are we you know are you staying you know we spend 
you know, last year, one of the greatest honors we had last year is in the OVC is we, we were reckon we, we won the, uh, I've got it sitting on there on my desk or on our table. It's, it was the, uh, outstanding academic um, team in our conference uh, for GPAs. And, you know, that's something that we, a big trophy that we display with our conference championship trophies, because it's that important, you know, to have kids understand and, you know, getting them to graduation, um, not only with developing football, but, you know, all of our juniors are going to be seniors having conversations with me and my other coaches with them about how we can get them in contact with people alumni and those things within their area of study to help them get jobs, to get interviews, to get on resumes, to help them, you know, get them placed from here into the job market in the areas that they've studied. You know, those are things that are very important to me that we, we connect, connect our alumni and even people outside of our alumni that we have uh, donors, things like that within those business education, whether it's criminal justice, you know, uh, helping our guys, um, move on to life after football because, like I said, that's about 99.3% of them aren't going to go play in the NFL. Yeah, and we've got to make sure we're we're preparing them for that. Um, and then the guys that can make it, we have the resources, we have the help to get them there as well. But we got to keep our priorities straight. Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. I enjoyed the time with you. I hope that you enjoyed our interview with Jed Stugard, but we're not done. For the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week, we talk about the players from Azusa Pacific who made it into the NFL. First, we have two undrafted players, the first being Matthew Orzek, a tight end who plays as a long snapper and who was on the roster for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Tennessee Titans, Los Angeles Rams, and is currently on the roster of the Green Bay Packers. The second undrafted player is Terrell Watson, a running back who has been on the regular season roster for several teams, the Philadelphia Eagles, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the San Diego Fleet of the American Alliance of Football. There are three drafted players from Azusa Pacific that played in the NFL. The first was Doug Barnett, who was a center drafted in the fifth round of the 1982 NFL Draft. He played for the Los Angeles Rams, Washington, and the Atlanta Falcons. He also spent a few years coaching in high school and college. The next is Michael Walker, drafted in the fourth round in the 2020 NFL Draft, Walker played for the Atlanta Falcons and is currently on the practice squad of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Finally, the most well-known player to come out of Azusa Pacific is the Nigerian nightmare Christian Okoye. Drafted in the second round of the 1987 NFL Draft, Okoye played for the Kansas City Chiefs from 1987 through 1992. He was the NFL's rushing yards leader in 1989, went to two Pro Bowls, and is in the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame. That's all that we have for this episode. Stay tuned to our social media channels to stay up to date on our episodes. You can find the links at the official Football Learning Academy website at www.football-learning-academy.com. Not only will you find links to our social media channels and a listing of all of our podcast episodes, but you'll find other fascinating interviews and classes. And an important note, a portion of all proceeds generated at the Football Learning Academy Go to help retired players in need. That website again is www.football-learning-academy.com. Thank you for listening to the official Football Learning Academy podcast.
Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.